everybody. Welcome to the green light. Green light. <laughs> I was, was going to say good. hey and then I said hello. You, yeah, the, the hello was a little, it was, it was a little halo. Halo. <laughs> That's nice. I'm Jackson. I'm Lauren. We're coming at you live on tape from our Not the closet. Yeah, not yeah. the closet anymore. Our first full real episode outside of the closet, Yay. which is super exciting. So yeah. what do we do, Lauren, outside of the closet now? Well, we read unproduced plays and screenplays and interview the awesome people who wrote them. Yes, we do. That's the gist of what we do. And if you don't know, if you're new here, we've been recording in our closet for the past 14 episodes yes. because of the equipment that we had, the sound that we, we needed to get was only achievable in our closet. We had like an omnidirectional mic, so yeah. we, we couldn't be in a, a large space. Yeah, um, but now we got some new equipment. Yeah. Uh, we're still learning how to use it. So if you hear us pop our peas or pop our bees, then bear with us, please. We we're doing our best not to, but we're we're getting some uh, some pop screens and some other things to help us with that. Yeah. So we're we're gonna be up and fully running so yeah. soon. We're super excited. And you know, um, part of the reason we're able to get this super cool equipment is because we have a couple Patreon subscribers. And if you would like to be part of our Patreon, we are actually we actually just posted a couple of bonus detours. Yeah, we because, did. Because um, since we recorded a couple episodes in advance before Jackson went out of town, we watched and read a bunch of cool stuff, and we wanted to talk about all of them. So yes, we did. We have some extra stuff for Patreon people only. Yep. I just said a lot of peas. A lot, a lot of peas. <laughs> I think they came through okay. Okay. So we're, we're, we're doing okay. We're figuring stuff out. Um, so once again, thank you for bearing with us. But yeah. And that will be in the description. Yes. Oh, shoot. Um, also in the description. What? I need to look at if we got any iTunes reviews. I don't think we did, oh, but I'm going to check. Yeah, yeah. Also in the description is if you uh, nope. just feel <laughs> the kindness strike you in your heart and would like to rate and review us on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. We would greatly appreciate it. Yes. It would help move us up the charts. It is free. It takes like 30 seconds, and I promise it takes a lot longer to put this together. Yes, it does. It, it do be doing that. It do and be doing that. And <laughs> if you either roast us, you can roast me or Lauren. Lauren opened herself up a couple I weeks did. for a roasting, and, and she's brave. And you know, none of you have taken up the gauntlet yet. Yeah, true. So, so which I'm, honestly, probably wise. I'm going to have to write a burner review. <laughs> Lauren <laughs> said probably wise and looked at me with death in her eyes. So if you don't hear me next week, <laughs> someone come rescue me. But, so yeah, if, if you want to do that, or give your detour of the week, and I'm going to explain what that is right now. We'll read it on the pod if you do that. But... Our detour of the week is our segment where every week we talk about something we've consumed in the past week. You know, like a movie, like a TV, or a TV show. show, like a book, maybe. Like a book. Like a... Ten-year-old video game. Something like maybe. that. Yeah. yeah. And like Lauren said, we have a lot. So a couple of those detours, bonus episodes on our Patreon. But yes. we're going to talk about some other ones for everyone right now. You want to go first? You want me to go first? Uh, I'll go first. Lauren's um, going to go first. Yeah. So last weekend, Jackson did not see it because he was not here, but I watched the new Beyonce film on Disney Plus, Black is King. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. Now, I didn't, I, I did watch Lemonade when it came out. Um, so I kind of knew what to expect in terms of style for a, a visual album film. Um, but I, I really didn't know what to expect in terms of story. I had no idea it was based on Lion King. Um, yeah. So that was, uh, I was, I was pleasantly surprised from that standpoint, but um, it was stunning. The visuals were stunning. The music was incredible. Um, it's really, you know, it's interesting because 
obviously the Lion King is set in Africa, and yet it has never been a black story. Hmm. Um, so, you know, The Lion King, if you don't know this, is based on Hamlet, which is Shakespeare's longest and probably most famous play. Yeah, you're probably familiar with it. <laughs> you're probably at least vaguely familiar. Um, maybe you had to read it in high school. Probably. But, you know, um, the the musical The Lion King, which is very, very successful and has been running since the late 90s, um, does feature a pretty much all-black cast. Um, but... We've never seen The Lion King like this before, where it's truly a celebration of um, black culture and overall figuring out what it means to be a king. Mm -hmm. Um, So it sort of talks about how to grow, how to deal with people in your lives, how to deal with um, just just figuring out who you are uh, and how to operate in the world and how to treat others with respect, how to carry yourself um how to yeah just just be a king um so something that i really loved about it is that it incorporates so it incorporates a lot of styles of dance it incorporates a lot of different varieties of scenery of costuming um it very much goes from like more urban american settings to these stunning african landscapes um there is the style of dance is like there's a lot of hip hop. There's also a lot of almost kind of tribal dance. Um, there are a lot of combinations of the two and callbacks to um, African tribal culture. So, yeah, it was overall just gorgeous. The costumes were incredible. Um, to, to clarify for me and maybe some yeah. other audience people, uh, audience people, whatever, <laughs> Um it, it's it's a visual album, so it's c- totally music. It's all music, or are there Not, scenes. Uh, it's mostly music, but okay. um, there is, it's yeah, it's it's pretty much all music. But in the same way that uh, she did with Lemonade, the visual album of Lemonade, mm-hmm. which um, I haven't seen, crucify it's me. It's very in the comments. very good. I will. Um, <laughs> I'll make a burner account. Yes. Um, Beyonce does a lot of narration between songs okay. and it is like a, a through line of a story. You know, it mostly focuses on um, Simba growing up. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's also interesting just to see the way different characters in the Lion King are represented sure. and they do refer to them. Um, Cause I, I always turn subtitles on, especially for something with music. Yeah. Um, they do refer to them as the names of the characters in The Lion King. So there's Mufasa, there's Scar. Oh, cool. Um, one of my favorite scenes was the scene right at the beginning with the hyenas in yeah. the elephant's graveyard. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, which is sort of, it's in this like warehouse and there are like fires and trash cans and stuff. And um, it's talking about like, you know, having gold and having bling and being rich and stuff like that. And how that's like tempting to someone who is learning to be a young king. Hmm. Um, yeah, it was just overall so well done. Um, and it was really just, uh, a celebration, you know? Um, I also just think it's so interesting that obviously there was just a Lion King, a live action Lion King remake made that came out last summer. Yeah. That was pretty bad. (laughs) And I really feel like, you know, Beyonce was in it. I really feel like Beyonce was like, okay, I'll do your crappy Lion King remake if you make my much better live action Lion yeah. King remake. And so, it's so much better. <laughs> what role does she play in Black is King? Uh, I can't remember her name. I 
think she's the mom. Simba's mom? Lion. Yes. Okay. I can't remember her name. It starts with an S. Sarah. No. Sally. No. That Sybil. That sounds very <laughs> white. <laughs> yeah, true. Who plays Simba? Is it anyone recognizable? Who does Jay-Z play? I heard Jay-Z shows up. I, mm, I'm trying to remember, Do you remember if he's Jay-Z? Scar. I, well, I remember him being in it. Okay. <laughs> I, I just remember, like, literally the only image I'm seeing of Jay-Z right now is, like, he's in, like, a leopard print car at one point. That sounds cool. Yeah. Well, uh, let us know in the comments who Jay-Z plays. Um, I forgot. Great. Uh, anything you know, else? I was immersed. I wasn't looking at the celebrities. Exactly. So. You forget yeah, Jay-Z is even good. Jay-Z, if um, you can. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, one thing I really liked was just how Rafiki was portrayed. So, um, there's a... Uh, there's a guy who has like blue body paint on who was with Beyonce for a lot of it. So, so Beyonce is, um, Beyonce sort of plays a lot of different roles in this. Mm. So she's very much kind of like, she's kind of a voice of God. Um, she's also Simba's mother. There's this really cool kind of, um, Moses imagery of like, um, releasing a, a a baby down the river in a basket and it being found by a queen you know mm-hmm. um who's also beyonce the mother's beyonce the queen's also beyonce <laughs> as she should be yes <laughs> um but so beyonce you know so beyonce. i thought that it was cool that it it incorporated elements from the lion king elements from african culture elements from you know the the story of exodus um, sure. which yeah. took place in egypt which is in africa mm-hmm. um there are no white people in the bible anyway True. <laughs> um Get but yeah it was heads. it was incredible well that's great i i'm happy is that is that your final thoughts on black is king i think so okay yeah great please watch it it's on disney plus yeah disney plus easy to access speaking of easy to access if you own a netflix account which i wish i had the percentage of people in america who did i'm gonna guess 70 that seems right. Seventy percent of people in the world. Well, then in, again, on, we don't all have our United own States. Netflix accounts. Well, true. I'd say seventy percent of people have, have access. access to Netflix. If you have access to a Netflix account, you also have access to The Last Dance, yeah. which, d- despite its title, you may not know, it is a documentary about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. So, gonna start off with Michael Jordan has is uh holds a special place in my heart because he went to the greatest university that the world has ever seen, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Lauren, Lauren is laughing at me. But I'll start off with that because there are some really cool shots of Michael Jordan at UNC. That, that It's a really cool thing. And I, I'll describe what this is about in a second. But it, it's very cool to see him at places that I have walked and be like, oh yeah, he, he went to the same school that I did. Because, you know, I, I, like, know that, obviously, and it's it's in my mind, but Still sometimes cool you forget. Them. Yeah, and especially, you know, just seeing him on campus as opposed to, like, playing basketball at UNC, you know? It's it's sort of a, a, a different experience. But this documentary essentially documents the, the Chicago Bulls and their rise to their dynasty. And really what it does is it documents the final season of the the Chicago, the great Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, everyone like that. So at this point, the Bulls had won five championships and they were going for their sixth. 
And now, the the documentary does a great job because it switches back and forth between the final season and other seasons throughout Michael Jordan's career with the Bulls. So, like, you know, it'll it'll go through a period of time in that final season, then it'll switch back and talk about one season. I think sort of each episode kind of deals with a different season that the Bulls had with Michael Jordan, even though they all, of course, deal with that last one, which I think is a really cool way to, to structure it. Um, it was It was really cool to see Michael Jordan do interviews because I think not only do interviews but actually see some game highlights like really in-depth watching Michael Jordan play because I feel like people you know I am 23 years old I was about to say 22 not anymore I'm 23 I'm 23 years old so it's like you know I was born in 97 and they're the final real season of the Chicago Bulls was 98 so, you know, I, I never really got to actually watch Michael Jordan play when he was in his prime, really, at all, you know? So it was just really cool to see, like, watch him play and really see how dominant he was. Like, if you have any doubts that Michael Jordan's the greatest basketball player of all time, this documentary probably will change your mind and will be like, yep, he is. Okay, got it. Just because his mentality is just so unlike anyone that, like... Just anyone in in sport, even in sports that I see, he just has such a winner's mentality that it's 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 crazy. It's 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 really cool to see, and it's really cool to see the downfall of that as well. Like it does not it does not pick Michael Jordan as like a saint, which is like which I think is good a, a good way for a documentary to approach a person as opposed to just just lifting them up. It presents him as a real complex human being, which is really cool. Um, let's see, what else? There, it's not just Michael Jordan. Like, it, it is a, a documentary that is mostly about Michael Jordan, but you also get to see a lot of Scottie Pippen, a lot of Dennis Rodman. Scottie Pippen's story, it personally, was very compelling, just because of, of where he grew up, how he, um, you know, coming from nothing, rising to this, you know possibly the second best player in the NBA at one point. And it was really interesting because for a while he was severely under underpaid as like an NBA star of his caliber. At one point he was like the, like the hundredth highest played NBA player. Highest and it played. Hi highest played. Sorry. <laughs> um, but you know, he, he was easily a top 10 player and he was, he wasn't even in the top 100 of being paid. It was, it was just really interesting to see, see all of that and see, and see Scotty's journey as well. Even Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman is a very interesting character if you know anything about Dennis Rodman. And he is, Lauren is shaking her head, no, she knows <laughs> nothing about Dennis Rodman. But it's really cool to see him sort of humanized in a way and see sort of the, the struggles that he had. And once again, not necessarily painted as a saint, but still, still has a cool, cool arc there. Um, the, it, it also, it's really interesting. Because now we look back on Michael Jordan as one of like the greatest winners in sports history. And it's cool to see, you know, in the first, I think it took him seven years to get to an NBA Finals. Like when he was first in the league, he was just considered like a scorer. And he was like, can Michael Jordan win the big one? And it's like, that's so crazy because when we look back on him, he's like the pinnacle of what it means to be yeah. a winner. He's like God tier of basketball. He, he is God tier. Good job. <laughs> S tier. Michael Jordan is S tier basketball player. Um. So yeah, it's a very cool documentary, very cool to see all that. One one final note, uh, Last Dance, Netflix, 10 episodes, an hour long each, but they go really fast. They go really smooth, especially if you're a sports fan, you'll get a lot out of this. I don't know if there's someone that exists today that, had the sa that has the same type of celebrity that Michael Jordan did at his height. Hmm. I... 
I, and with like, you know, obviously everyone has like social media today, so it's even easier for people to see you. I don't know if there's one person that everyone knows around the world, like everyone knew who Michael Jordan was. Can you think of anyone who's like kind of like that? I don't know. Maybe Trump, for, but not for good reasons. Yeah, I mean, that that's true. That's <laughs> or sports figure, I guess. Sports figure. Um... I mean, LeBron's yeah, well-known, but he's know. not, like, I mean, maybe, not that like, same. Tom Brady? Tom Brady, but I, I don't know if football is as popular other places as it is here. That's true. But, you know, everyone yeah, everyone knew know. Michael Jordan. Every, and I think it, it was really cool to see that, just to see how what kind of star power he really had. Yeah. That was a super cool thing about the documentary. Last Dance, Netflix, Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls. Watch it. It's good. Yeah. So, uh, one last thing we want to talk about real quick. Both of us recently read the book Good Omens, yes. and we haven't seen the series yet. We want to watch that soon, probably yeah. once we finish season two of Umbrella Academy, maybe. Correct. Um, another apocalypse story, but uh, so Good Omens is by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett, and it's it's a it's a great book. Um, it's is a pretty point cre- blank period. Point blank period. Um, that's <laughs> a lot of P's and B's. Yeah. <laughs> um, True. But no, it's it's really, really great. I have never read anything else Terry Pratchett has done. I've read quite a few Neil Gaiman books. Um, mm-hmm. And we actually talk about Neil Gaiman a little bit in our interview later, just talking yes, about in terms of how you how you blend up your real life and put it in your art. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it's really fun. Basically, the premise of it is that the apocalypse is coming. It's coming soon. It is. And there is an angel and a demon who are the angel and the demon who were in the Garden of Eden. So, you know, the angel mm. had the flaming sword, the demon was took the form of the snake. And yeah, they've basically existed on Earth for thousands of years together. And they've just seen each other so much that even though they're on opposite sides of the cosmic war, in a weird way, they've kind of become friends. They're friends. Yeah. They're buddies. Bros. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so uh first off jackson yeah apocalypse stories this yeah. or umbrella academy well it's it's so hard to compare the two because i've watched umbrella academy yeah. and i've seen this you know ask me again whenever we watch the series and i'll be able to give you a better answer that's I fair think. that's fair um one thing that i'll like to i'd like to note and this is probably my only note um this is a is a book that you will probably actually find funny I feel like a lot yeah. of funny books, and I'm putting funny in quotes, because a lot of books that are considered funny are really like, I mean, I guess that's clever, but I'm not like laughing. There are, there were, funny. There are actual moments where like I laughed out loud yeah. reading this book. So if, you, if you're looking for something like that, this is a great, a great one to Yeah, there to are a lot for. of just kind of like fun, kind of snarky footnotes. Like, <laughs> yeah, the footnotes are really cool. Towards the end, there's, a, there's an American sergeant who is stationed in... Uh, at the, I think the Air Force Base or the Naval Base or something, Air Force Base in the UK. And uh, it says something about like his his injury from Nam starts acting up. And then there's a footnote that's like, he slipped and fell in a shower in Vietnam when he was on vacation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So just little stuff (laughs) like that that really makes it stand out as being really funny. Yeah. um, So let me see. Yeah. um, We both you know, are like we we grew up in religious households. We we're very familiar with the story of the Garden of Eden. Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, we kind of know who these characters are. And it also deals with, like, the four horsemen of the apocalypse yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It talks about the Book of Revelation, stuff like that. Um, so it really just takes everything we know about religion and turns it on its head in a really funny way. Mm-hmm. You know, it just talks about, like, the battle between good and evil and how it's some big thing and how good and evil are really a little more ambiguous than that. Yeah. Um, I really think the lesson here is that bureaucracy is bad. Nice. Get him. Get him. <laughs> well, no, because it talks about how, you know, Crowley and Aziraphale, I think is how you pronounce yeah, his name. That's good. Um, a good swing. Yeah. Are, you know, they're kind of the representatives from heaven and hell who have really been living on earth this whole time. And you could also say that the four horsemen of the apocalypse have been living on earth as well. You know, we see um, war, famine, death, and pollution, who was formerly plague. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, sure. So, you know, we kind of follow them in their existence on Earth, too. But no one really has the love for Earth and humanity that Crowley and Aziraphale have. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting to see how they've almost become human in a way. For you sure. Know, of course, they're yeah. supernatural beings and have all these powers. But they have grown to love humanity and they actually work to prevent the apocalypse from happening. Yeah. I think that's one of the cool draws of the story. Yeah. Is how yeah. human those two characters are. I mean, that's are. not really a spoiler. They, you know, that comes up right at the beginning. But yeah. um, yeah, there's, you know, the Antichrist who was born and there's a mix up. So the kid that they think is the Antichrist is not actually the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's... um. Yeah, it's just really interesting. And uh, I think I'm going to talk about the ending for a second. Go for it. So if you don't want spoilers, skip ahead a minute or so. Um, So I really love that at the end, the Antichrist decides not to bring about the apocalypse because the Antichrist is not a demon. The Antichrist was not raised as a spawn of Satan. The Antichrist was raised as a human. Mm -hmm. And like Crowley and Aziraphale, this human has learned to love living on earth and doesn't want it to end yeah and also in the end the antichrist is 11 yep you know (laughs) yep which is pretty cool (laughs) yeah um yeah i i just really i really loved it yeah it's great i'm excited to watch the series um the series can be found on amazon prime the book can be found probably at pretty much any bookstore yeah it's pretty common or you know if you're on a budget uh check out hoopla and libby yeah library apps true 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 we've talked about that a little bit all righty I think that's it for our detours. Yeah. Coming so up next, Lauren will tell you. We are reading A Stupid Broken Leg, a short play by Nolan Nightingale. And yes, that's his real name. Yes, we, we asked. We promise. <laughs> <laughs> all right. See y'all in a bit. In a bit. Welcome back to the Green Light. The Green Light Podcast. Green Light. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Our guests get it. Cool. They, they know what the, what's up by now. Uh, we are joined again today by Bailey Arad. Hey, it's me, Bailey from Target. Bailey from Woo-hoo. Target. And Bailey now also from the fields. The, the what do you... The horses. Well, maybe ninety percent. We'll see. Not, we'll see. That's not for sure yet. I okay. Got my resume that my mom was writing me. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> Bailey, maybe from the fields riding horses. We'll see. TBD. Hey, it's me, Bailey from Target. I rode a horse today. Woo! That's better. That's better. <laughs> and Blake Benson. Hello, hello. Blake is back with us He's as back. well. From B B and B E. B B B E. Oh my gosh. And J C and L H. 
those don't cool. do anything that together. Really... <laughs> That's okay right. though. Uh, <laughs> initials. So we're, yeah, initials are fun. Fun with initials. So today we are reading a stupid broken leg, a play by Nolan Nightingale. Bailey is laughing profusely <laughs> at our initials jokes, but that's perfect. That's why we have her on the pod. Um, I guess let's just jump right into it. We'll, well do wait, we should say who we're characters. Reading. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I will be playing Jack, a loving father. I will be playing Dr. Carcer, a seasoned professional. And I will be playing Maggie, a dutiful mother. And I will be reading stage directions. Alrighty, let's jump in. A Stupid Broken Leg by Nolan Nightingale Stage is set in two sections. The majority of the stage is an ER waiting room. There's a row of seats and a bunch of upbeat medical posters. One of these posters has a bunch of smiling birds on it and says, Baby birds fall out of the nest. Parents protect them. Stage right is the exit out of the hospital. Upstage left is the door out of the waiting room. In the downstage left area is the second section, a small bathroom. Not much is needed for this in terms of set dressing. Anything characters do in the bathroom can be mimed with sound cues. Lights up on the waiting room. Jack, a distressed father, is pacing. He's the only one in the room as it is late at night. He stops and stares at the bird poster. What does that even mean? You can't always catch the baby birds, you know. You try and catch them, but the little brats fall too often and too fast. Stop judging me! Jack sits down. Stupid poster. Dr. Carcer, a young woman, enters stage left with a clipboard. Jack doesn't notice. Mr. Towns? Jack stands up. Yes. Jack, please. My name is Dr. Carcer. I've been treating Harry. Is Mrs. Towns here yet? No, she's still en route. She was the next state over at a business conference when I called her. Yes, the nurses told me. Is Harry okay? When do you think she'll be here? Uh, I don't know. Ten minutes, maybe? Is Harry okay? Dr. Carcer looks down at her clipboard. It's a broken leg, Mr. Towns. Your son will be fine. I don't get why I couldn't go back with him. He's seven. He must be scared out of his mind. That's why the nurses separated you from Harry, Mr. Towns. He seemed scared. Well, of course he was scared. It was one in the morning and he had a broken leg. Mr. Towns, you don't seem to catch my meaning. The nurses thought that your son seemed scared of you. Why would my son seem scared of me? That makes no sense. That's why I'm out here. I need to ask you and your wife when she gets here some questions. Wait. You think I hurt my son? I didn't say that. You think that I purposefully hurt my own child? I don't know. But if you let me ask these questions, we can determine that you didn't and get on with our lives. Jack sinks into a chair. Oh, God. If I fail your test, what happens? It isn't a test, Mr. Towns. You can't pass or fail. What happens if I fail? Then we figure out what's best for Harry. I'm sorry. I I need a moment. Where's your bathroom? The normal bathroom is over there. Dr. Carcer points in the direction of the bathroom set. Jack gets up. Thank you. He staggers into the bathroom. Lights down on the waiting room, lights up on the bathroom. Jack goes to the sink and turns the water on. He splashes his face. Fuck! Bitch! Shit! Fuck! Jack starts stomping and thrashing around. Shit! Bitch! 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 Jack's anger turns into sobbing. <sighs> They're gonna take my son. They're gonna take my fucking son away. God, Maggie's gonna hate me. My marriage is over. Fuck! He seethed silently for a few moments. Pull yourself together, Jack. You didn't do anything wrong. You just messed up. Go talk to that doctor, and she'll see that you're a good dad. You're in the right, so you have that. He takes a deep breath and wipes the tears away. You can do this. Jack exits the bathroom. Lights down on the bathroom, lights up on the waiting room. 
Dr. Carcer is now sitting down. Take a seat, Mr. Towns. Jack, please. Jack sits down. Mr. Towns, explain to me exactly how your son broke his leg. The earthquake threw him down the stairs. Dr. Carcer registers something here, but decides to save it for later. Why was Harry near the stairs past midnight? Shouldn't he have been in bed? He woke up and needed a glass of water. So I walked with him downstairs to the kitchen. He drank his water, and then we walked back up the stairs. When we were halfway up, the earthquake hit. Harry lost his footing and fell down. That's how he broke his leg. Okay, that makes sense. A fall like that would be enough to break his leg. Are we done now? How did his wrist get bruised? What? Your son also had some rather pronounced bruises on his wrist. It looked as if someone had grabbed it violently. I mean, I tried to grab him. Why would you grab him? I don't know. To hold on? To protect him during the earthquake? When the house started shaking, I grabbed onto Harry's wrist. Not hard enough, though. His little hand popped right out and he fell down the stairs. Right. This is all due to the earthquake. Does Harry ever stress you out? I mean, he's my son. Of course he stresses me out. Do you ever get angry at him? What? No, no, I I don't like how this is going. It was the earthquake. This should be a no-brainer to you. Mr. Towns, there was no earthquake. Yeah, there was. I've been on duty all night and there has not been a single tremor. That's impossible. I felt it. It shook the entire house. Look around you, Mr. Towns. It's a slow night in the ER. If a natural disaster happened, do you think that would be the case? You're lying. I don't know why, but you're lying. Please remain calm, Mr. Towns. Does your son ever make you angry? Of course he does. He's a child. Do you have children? Not relevant. If you did, you'd know just how stupid that question is. That doesn't mean I'd bounce him around the walls, for Christ's sake. Has Harry ever had any other serious injuries? No, just this. Please remember, Mr. Towns, that I can and will take a look through his medical history to confirm that. I know! Where's my son? Drinking a juice box right now. Can I see him? No. Why the hell not? Because you lied to me. I'll have to ask Harry what happened. I don't want you to see him before that. Dr. Carcer stands up. I'm not fucking lying! Finally, Dr. Carcer loses her- Yes, you are! She recomposes herself. I will be back out in a bit, when your wife is here. Dr. Carcer exits upstage left. Jack is left to stew. He looks back at the poster of the birds and flips it off. Stupid goddamn birds. Maggie enters. She's about Jack's age. She looks extremely frazzled. Jack! Maggie, you're here. Is he okay? Yeah, he's fine. Broke his leg. Can I go see him? Why aren't you with him? Babe, I need you to sit down. I I thought you said he was okay. He is, he is. Just, please, sit down. Maggie sits down. They think I broke his leg. Did you hurt him? No! Why would you believe that? Jack, I need you to look me in the eyes and tell me that you didn't hurt him. Jack looks her in the eyes. Her lack of trust really hurts. I would never hurt our son. What happened, Jack? There was an earthquake and Harry fell. On the East Coast? Earthquakes happen! Okay. I'm sorry. Jack collapses, holding on to Maggie. They're gonna take our son away over a stupid broken leg. They won't. As long as you're telling the truth. I am? I am. God, Harry must be so scared right now. I I hope he's just oblivious. He's a happy little kid. Hopefully this is all flying right over his head. But me? I am petrified. Jack, you're an adult. Exactly. Being accused of this... People will think I'm a monster. Just being accused of this, I'll always be that asshole who beats kids. No jury required. Jack begins hugging a little tighter. You're right. I I get it. Just... Jack. Yeah? You're squeezing a little too tight. Sorry. Uh, Sorry. Jack lets go and begins to compose himself. Do you think your rage problem is going to be an issue? That's confidential, no. The doctor won't be able to find that out. 
Fuck. I have tried so hard. I spent the past seven years doing everything I can to be a perfect father. When I was little, my dad used to tell me I was so lucky. Let me know that his father used to kick the shit out of him and that my dad must be a saint in comparison, letting his kids go along without beatings. Letting us know that it wasn't our right to be unharmed, but his own good grace. I want to be better than that. If my grandpa beat my father and my father guilted me, I want my son to live guilt-free. The first generation of it. I guess it doesn't matter, though. Everyone just thinks you're an abusive asshole anyways. No difference. There's a difference to Harry. Yeah, I guess so. Dr. Carcer re-enters. Ah, uh, Mrs. Towns, I presume. Yeah. She also wants to talk to you. Please, call me Maggie. Well, Maggie, I thought you should know that your son is in excellent condition. He's currently sleeping. C- can I see him? Yes, just first I need to talk with you. Okay. Alone. Jack stands up. Fine. I'll go walk a lap around the parking lot. Jack exits stage right. Maggie, I'm Dr. Carcer. Do you need anything? Any water? I want to see my son. Yes, I understand. You're a good mother, concerned for her son. There are just a few difficult questions we have to get past. Has your husband ever shown violent tendencies toward your son? No, he'd never do anything. He, he loves Harry. Has he ever shown violent tendencies towards anyone? No, n- no, he wouldn't be violent. Not to anyone. Are you sure? Yes. Mrs. Towns, if you're in danger, we have resources. My son and I are perfectly safe around Jack. He's a hardworking, loving father. Since he was fired, he has really stepped up as a stay-at-home dad. Harry adores his father. I'm actually a little jealous. Maggie, Harry is afraid of your husband. What? When your husband arrived with Harry, the nurses sensed a fear of your husband and the child. That is why the two were separated initially. Though Harry has been unresponsive to questions about what happened, he has been adamant that he does not want to go home with his father. Initially, I thought it was just an accident. Kid's trip. And Harry has no prior record of physical injury, but... When we said it was time to bring his dad into the room, he broke down crying and begged us not to. This might be difficult to hear, but I believe that your husband has had an altercation with your son. You... you think that Jack pushed a seven-year-old down the stairs? No. Your son's wrist was also injured. I think that most likely Jack's story is true to a point... He walked your child down the stairs and walked him back up. On the walk back up, something happened and your husband yanked hard on your son's hand, causing him to trip and fall. I know that this is unpleasant to think about, but it is the most likely scenario. Oh. Silence on stage for a few moments. Maggie takes it all in. Jack has rage problems. He's been going to a therapist for them for the last decade. Shortly after we married, he and I got into an argument. We argued a lot while we were dating, but it was mostly fun. Uh, I'm Italian. We like that. (laughs) But this one was different. I don't even remember what it was about. Something dumb. What car we wanted to buy or something. It brought out some real anger in him, though. He, He didn't hit me. I swear to God, if he had hit me, I would have packed my stuff up and left that same day. But uh, he pinned me against the wall and put a hole in it right next to my head. After that, he broke down crying, and I broke down crying, and he swore that he'd never let that happen again. Got himself a therapist, and he's been working on that part of himself ever since. He's kept his promise. He's always been good about not showing that side to me or Harry once we had him in. 
At least I think he has. Dr. Carcer puts a caring hand on Maggie's. Thank you. Jack re-enters. As he does this, Dr. Carcer stands up. Well, that was an enlightening conversation, Maggie. Yeah, I bet. She finally gets through to you that I'm innocent? Jack, please. Mr. Towns, I'm going to be contacting a social worker to look further into this case. What? Given your repeated lying and your history of anger management issues- Maggie, you told her? I'm sorry, Jack, it's just- No! This is insane! Mr. Towns, please calm down. Don't tell me to calm down. Yes, I have an issue. Are you happy? I'm not the perfect guy, but I'm working on it. I'm working so hard, and I've never laid a finger on Harry. Sometimes kids get hurt. There was an earthquake. This? This right here? Jack goes up to the bird poster. This is a load of ass! Parents can't catch their kids every time they fall. You put lies on your fucking wall. You should be ashamed. My son fell and hurt himself, and you know what? Maybe I yelled at him. Maybe it was one in the morning, and I was woken up to go get a glass of water, and then when he broke his leg, I was pissed! In a weak moment of selfishness, I was pissed at my son for being a little fucking klutz. But he fell on his own during an earthquake. I didn't cause it. Jack sits down. I'm in Nuremberg over a broken leg. Christ. Bullshit. I'm sorry, but you're full of bullshit. Your son is afraid of you, you monster. Maybe you didn't hurt him this time, but you have all the markers of an abuser. I won't lose any sleep over this decision. Maggie gets a text. She pulls her phone out. Oh my god. You know what? I'll just leave. Both of you made up your mind. Send the FBI to Motel 6, I guess, or whoever you need to send to arrest me. Jack, shut up! You're gonna treat me like- No! Seriously, shut up! I just got a text from our neighbors, a gas line busted on our street, causing the whole neighborhood to shake. Repairs are scheduled to take place next Monday. Jack, you weren't lying! Dr. Carster seemed shocked by this. Oh. Oh, God. Yeah, I told you! I- I apologize. You folks are- I- I'm sorry, I'll- I'll- I'll go get your son. Dr. Carcer staggers off stage. Jack sits down. Maggie won't look at him. What did the text actually say? Free coupon for Postmates. 75% off driver's fees. Why did you- I don't know. Babe, thank you so- This is the last time, Jack. I don't know what really happened, but it stops now. Or I take my son away. I didn't mean Go to- wait in the car. I want to see him alone. Jack looks like he's about to say something, but thinks better of it. He gets up and begins to exit stage right. Both Sides Now by Judy Collins, or a song of a similar tone, begins to play. Jack stops, looks back, then continues to exit. Maggie stands up, maybe wipes a tear from her eyes, and turns towards upstage left. Lights out. There's my brave boy! End of play. You got Jackson here. You, you got, got Lauren. Lauren here. Sorry, I didn't mean to jump over your your intro, Lauren. Let's go again. You got Jackson here. You got Lauren here. Perfect. All right. And we are also sitting here. Not, I guess not sitting here. Nolan, are you sitting down right now? I am sitting down right now. Uh, then we are sitting here with <laughs> Nolan Nightingale. Our writer uh, of the week. Yes. For, first question for you, Nolan. Is Nolan Nightingale your real name? Because that is just a perfect name. It is, in fact, my real name. Wow. Actually, the first place I ever submitted a play to, uh, 
it wasn't a great play. I'll admit it. And <laughs> it, that reflected in their response to me. <laughs> but it's a long list of just problems with the script. Then they fund it with, by the way, you're stupid. Please change it. Which, when that's your real name, it's oh. a real blow to your ego. That yeah. is tough. You you did cut out just in the middle there, but I think we got the gist. I think so, yeah. yeah. There's um, a girl I went to school with named Anna Broadway. And, and you know, she was a musical theater major with me. Yeah, So um, she All told fake. me that when she went was going to audition for college programs, um, there was a school where they literally asked her to pull out her license in front of everyone because they wow. did not believe that was her real name. The distrust, <laughs> the distrust. So Anna Broadway, Nolan Nightingale, two names that shouldn't be real, but, but they are, are, and we, we love, love them for it. All righty, so so past names, past names, and everything like that. Give us your writer origin story. How'd you get started writing? Uh, so I didn't really start until my uh, plays until my freshman year of college. Oh wow! Uh, when yeah, I mean, I'd been I wrote like short stories and little memoir pieces all throughout uh, childhood, but plays i'd always loved reading plays i loved doing theater and i just had so many i i had an idea for a play and i was like i really wish someone would write that (laughs) and then aha decided to write it a perfect solution to that problem (laughs) well cool uh, so getting into this play, because we'll ask you some more questions about you towards the end. Yes. Uh, but getting into this play specifically, so let's start at the very beginning with the character descriptions. So the first thing the audience sees about Jack is that he's described as a loving father, but obviously that idea is being called into question by the play. Um, so what was your intention in describing him this way from the top, and how does that play into how you want the reader to view his character? I, I think there's some, definitely there's a lot of intentional irony in my character description yeah. for that uh, <laughs> character list. Yeah. Um, I think the character descriptions to me reflect who the characters think they are, not yeah. who they're being uh, questioned as being. Cause That's cool. I think the whole, the whole script hinges on the idea of whether Dr. Carcer or Jack is in the right here, and both of them are treated very kindly by the character descriptions because that's how they see themselves and what mindset I would want the actors bringing to it. That's so cool. I really Hmm. like that. That is really interesting, especially because, you know, like majority of people ideally will be watching this, you know, so they don't have that knowledge, but anyone who's working on this play, you know, will obviously have that and be like, okay, loving father. Like as an actor, I know that's the first thing that I would look at. Right. Well, and it definitely hints at, you know, what you want the audience to see from the beginning. Yeah. Which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, For sure. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I mean, it definitely helps because you've probably heard this before, I'm sure. But, you know, we get told a lot as an actor, like, don't judge your characters. Yeah. Um, so it's so it's really cool to see a character description that is how that character sees himself. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. And as you will find out later, I did do a little bit of looking on your Facebook page. So apologies for that. But I saw <laughs> you, speaking of being an actor, I saw you were in a production of... Um, of uh, American Idiot recently? Is that true? Yeah, that's coming up in a few weeks. I'm uh, assistant directing it and also performing in it. That's fantastic. How are you, like, how are you doing that with everything going on? Good point. (laughs) So it is socially distanced. Uh, That's reflected in the blocking, Mm. and we are blessed in New Hampshire to not be uh, in a very affected area right. uh, so 
but we're still taking every precaution there is. Uh, so it's pretty much we're taking a field that could house 600 people, and we're setting it up so 168 people can see the show. And we have a rock concert with a big uh, stage with a big uh, TV screen. And uh, the pro- the production's definitely going to operate at a loss. Uh, we all know that going in, but sure. we just wanted something that if as long as people are taking the right precautions and we're going to make sure they are, will help bring our community together during these this time that's been very hard for everyone socially. Yeah, that's really yeah. cool. No, it it is and it's I think that's just a cool example of probably what we're going to be seeing in a lot of theaters around yeah. the country coming up is is their own unique and specific ways of dealing with this. So, very cool and break a leg in that yeah, production. It sounds leg. really cool. Uh so sort of back to the script. Um so up until like Maggie and Dr. Carcer's private conversation we really mostly get the story kind of from Jack's perspective. Like, we, we even follow him into the bathroom and we start with him, you know. So it feels like him leaving the room is the first time we get, like, an unbiased perspective on his, on the story and, like, of him as a person. Is that sort of the point where the audience is supposed to, like, turn on him a bit and realize, like, wait a minute, maybe there is something a little off? Um, and do you, Or do you, like, hope that they continue to sympathize him even until, like, the very end and through this conversation? I mean, I'd say the bathroom freakout for me is very more, it's, I didn't really think of audience sympathy throughout it, uh, Mm -hmm. throughout that, writing that section. Uh, I definitely think, I thought of it more analytically as this moment where I think the theme of the piece is how much of yourself do you have to have worked out before you can be in a serious relationship or part of a family Hmm. in a sort of parental role. And I think we need to see that is the one moment we get Jack's full unbridled rage, which is his problem as a human being Mm -hmm. that he did not have all worked out before joining this family unit and still does not have all worked out. Right. Yeah, no, I, that's, that's so cool about that, you know, the theme that you were talking about, because, you know, I feel like sometimes we, we, we see a protagonist and we want them to be just good. Like we want, we want them, them to be, be perfect. yeah, exactly. And when we see someone who isn't and who, who is still working these things out and we have to reckon with ourselves, like, because he, I, I think for me, he is a sympathetic character. You can see that he's trying his best and obviously he's done wrong things but it's like you know you still see that fight within him that he wants to be the best he can be so it's like having that reckoning with like you know as the audience i think is a, is a really cool thing but i i love how you sort of approached it more like analytically yeah. i think that's really cool so obviously harry the kid uh is a very <laughs> prominent character in this play but we don't actually see him so i so i just thought that was a really interesting choice how um you know we hear oh well is that what harry would tell me or um you you hear I guess Jack's side of the story, Harry's side of the story, um, all of those things without actually seeing him. So was there a time in your writing process where you thought Harry would make an appearance? And if so, why does he not appear in the end? I did never really thought Harry being on stage would be a, a good idea personally. I Because uh, I think it's... I think the second you see harry on stage you know what happened 
you, one way or another, yeah. the audience at that point will be forced to fully make their decision on whether or not Jack was abusive physically towards his son. And mm-hmm. I always knew that I always knew on some level that I didn't want to make that decision for the audience. Yeah. Cause I wanted to keep it more ambiguous. Cause I didn't think, I didn't think the act was actually the point of the script. I think the potential for Jack to do that being there is the important part, not whether or not he actually did it. Sure. sure. Yeah. 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 I think that's a really interesting choice. And I mean, I, I agree that, you know, if we saw him, our decision would definitely be made and the audience would definitely be watching that actor. And it would also just be, you know, I feel like especially with short plays, it's always complicated. The more people you bring in, it's always complicated when you have to bring in a kid (laughs) who's, you know, obviously probably not in great shape considering he has a broken leg. So I think it was the smart choice, both from a plot standpoint and from a Logistical. logistical standpoint. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. So let's talk about the ending a little bit, which I really, truly, when, what's, uh, Maggie, when, uh, when she was like, uh, talking about the text and was like, uh, she was like, oh, it's a Postmate thing. And I was like, what? I really did not see that coming. So very cool. Well, for a split second, I was like, was there actually an earthquake? Yeah, Because I did think as soon as he talked about the poster at the beginning that, you know, I was like, oh, he, he pushed this kid down the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But... But no, yeah. So, so why do you think Maggie does? She's clearly like a strong, loving mother, cares a lot about her child. Why does she allow Jack to stay with the family? You know, after a couple instances that we've had with him, why do you think she does that? I think that Maggie, at least, I don't know that Maggie ever makes her decision on, much like I want the audience to never fully make their decision. Mm -hmm. I didn't want Maggie, I don't think Maggie ever makes her decision on whether or not Jack definitively did it. So she helps him out because he is her husband. So he is someone that is of great emotional importance to her, even though he has these massive problems. But I don't think she, even though she's leaning towards he did it, I don't think she fully ever commits to that's definitely what happened. So I don't think she feels comfortable making the decision to fully just throw him under the bus and leave Totally. Sure. Yeah, yeah that and makes I mean, a lot in of front sense. of a third party, too, you know, in front of the doctor, that would be a really tough decision, too. Because, I mean, I feel like in that situation, you would really want to believe that that didn't happen. Yeah. You know, and you, you really wouldn't want to be confronted with that decision. And, and it's also like, I feel like it's also a tough thing to, you know, remove a child's father from his life. Yeah, um, the, the, there's so, that. And so yeah, you know, it's, I mean, it's complicated. And there, you have two perspectives that no matter what are going to be biased. You yeah. know, you have uh, you have Jack's perspective, which you know, obviously he wants he wants the best for his son, but he also wants to be able to stay with his son. So like his perspective is going to be a little biased. And even um, even Harry's perspective, it's like you know, it was late. You know, he could have misconstrued things. It's it's hard. Just like you know, kids are kids are kids. Yeah. So it's like it it was hard. So I I like that doubt. That doubt always makes you keeps you thinking, and I really appreciate that. Yeah. So um, there's a small moment when Maggie says. Jack, you're squeezing a little too tight when Jack is hugging her. We read this thinking, oh, well, maybe this is a representation of Jack's, how Jack handles relationships as a whole, or is it 
I don't know. We might be reading too much into it, but <laughs> yes. but it just seemed cool. Um, Question, so is this... are we reading too much into it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. I don't think you guys are reading too much into it. I I didn't intend that to be thematic, although everything in a script does right. relate to the theme on some level. Of course. But, uh, Whether you want it to I, or not, someone's going to think it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I thought more of that was, I, that was an indication that I wanted to give that Jack even when he's not intending to hurt, is a bit rough with mm. dealing with other people. Yeah, like, for sure. Because even in the most generous reading of this script towards Jack, he would still have had to be super rough holding on to his son's wrist enough to bruise it. Yeah. Yeah. So need to show that part of him. Yeah, for yeah. sure. No, totally. I that that's that's pretty much what we were thinking. Yeah. I was like, I know sometimes I read too hard into things, so just wanted to talk about because I I really liked that moment. Yeah, I me thought too. it was a, a really cool example. So, off the script now, we're gonna ask some questions about you, good sir. So as I mentioned before, I did do a little bit of Facebook stalking. You know, I'm gonna be honest about it. But <laughs> I so I found your Road to the Pulitzer YouTube series and. I loved it. I watched both episodes, by the way, so far. Um, it, I thought it was really cool. So just talk about that and like where the idea sparked from and like why you decided to do it. All right. So I thought uh, a big thing that me and a lot of my other friends and colleagues as playwrights uh, really harp upon and believe is that the the road to success of being an artist is a little over-romanticized. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's yes. like this idea of big, sweeping feelings and going out on your own and not having to work a day job when that's not the truth of it mm-hmm. at all. And I kind of... The title's a little tongue-in-cheek with me, and I, I yeah. put that in the <laughs> video description. I talk about that a little bit in the videos and put it in the video description that it's... Like, it's called The Road to the Pulitzer, but as much as that's my my dream... It's not likely to ever get the Pulitzer in drama, but so I want to very much show the unromantic idea of being a playwright. And actually, you know, I'm currently working at a Lowe's and yeah. <laughs> making ends meet, and being too tired to write most days at the end, and just getting it in on the weekends sometimes. And I think that's the reality of being an artist, far more than say. Rent, which is a musical I have very ambivalent feelings about. <laughs> it is very just like, ah, uh, you know, I'm selling out if I get a, a job that is me doing what I want to do that actually pays money. Yeah. It's like, yeah. what? <laughs> and I, I love what yeah. you said about it being romanticized, because I feel like it's romanticized in two different ways, right? It's either like, oh, this idea of all these emotions and these great feelings, and it's like, oh, I'm a writer. Or it's like... Or it's, it's like, I'm a starving artist. Exactly. Like, I'm eating beans and rice every day, you know? And it's like, a, a lot of times it's just... I four hours of sleep yeah. because I write. And a lot of times it's somewhere in between, right? Yeah. It's like, you still do have to work another job, but you're not necessarily like killing yourself or you don't have to which i think is the idea that some yeah. people miss so yeah. i i love i love the idea and like i said you got a new subscriber i i did subscribe Yay. i will say so so thank well, you for that I'm, i mean hear. yeah i'm looking forward to more episodes yeah. <laughs> um yeah so you talk about how many of your plays are dark so why do you think you're drawn to writing darker works so i think that most writing on not in an obvious level 
I think most writing is autobiographical, but, you know, not on an obvious level. Like, Lin-Manuel Miranda is not a founding father. Right. Sure. However, <laughs> I think we can say I that. Think, <laughs> I think the idea of the immigrant, uh, the immigrant experience uh, to him is a very relatable one, and what he put upon the story of the founding fathers. And I think every all work is autobiographical, but in a way where... It's like a game of telephone, just 10 degrees removed from how it actually is. And yeah. I think I find dark themes for a lot of the stuff on my mind, the big world problems or interpersonal issues. I feel arguing them out in my scripts between characters and finding the solution translates better to darker stuff because Possibly if we were in a pre-2016 world, uh, mm-hmm. my scripts would be a lot happier. Sure. But, but I think just it's the way that makes the most sense to me to translate it. For sure, yeah. yeah. Have you uh, have you ever heard of Amanda Palmer? I have heard of her. Yay! Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, wait. Have you, have you read her book, The Art of Asking, by any chance? I have not. I heard her talk once. Right, yeah. Exciting. Well, yeah, there's um I mean, the the talk is amazing and the book is also amazing, just like an expanded version, but I just remember there's one part in the book where she talks about, you know, putting your art in a blender. So like, of course she's married to Neil Gaiman and she talked about how when she makes art, you know, it's only on a 3. So like, you always put your real life in your art and sometimes it's more obvious for some people than others. So hers is on a three, so you can see her real life pretty clearly in her music. But, you know, Neil Gaiman's is on an 11, so it's so out there, and you can, like, barely see how his real life is in there, but it's there, you know? Hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I don't know, it just reminded me of, of your answer. Yeah, no, I like that. And sort of to follow up with that, so um, in, I believe, the second episode of Road to the Pulitzer, you talk about sort of uh, some of your plays being produced, and you talk about um, bad news and bird shit, that's what it's called, correct? Yes. Yeah, and how when it was performed, there were, like, some inherent comedic elements in, like, a seemingly dark story that were kind of missed in the production. So how do you find that you balance the comedy and tragedy in your stories? And, like, why is it sometimes necessary, you think, that comedic elements be placed in stories that are, like, very tragic on their surface? I think it's necessary because it's a lot truer to life than just something being downright miserable and unrelenting. Yeah. Like, I think maybe it's just my family, but, like, every funeral I've ever been to, my family's just been, like, snapping off witty jokes the entire time. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just because I think in grief and darkness and the awkwardness of all of that, people make jokes to make it feel less big. Yeah. Make it feel more manageable. And I think, I don't think it would be... I don't think art that just is unrelentingly sad is true to life. Like even Les Miserables, a musical and book that literally translates to the miserable, have the Thanatiers in there who are hilarious comic relief of just kind of people that actually exist who just scam any yeah. bad situation <laughs> for their own benefit, and they're hilarious. Yeah. yeah. And that's because... It's more true to life to have that comedy in there. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, we just finished watching Fleabag. It was a rewatch for Jackson, but that's very much like, you know, she's dealing with grief the whole time and is always just like 
popping off one-liners to the audience. Yeah, it's great. And it, it like like you said, it just makes it so much easier for the audience to like take it in. Yeah. Like there are some movies that I can recognize as great works of art that I will watch once and never watch again just because it is such a painful experience yeah. to watch, you know? And I feel like the movies yeah. that really stick with you kind of have a combination of both that comedy. Movies or any work of art really have a combination of both that comedy and tragedy tragedy yeah. that sort of interchange like life does, like you were saying. Yeah. So. Or like there was one time... Um, I was in a production of, it was like an adaptation of Antigone called The Burial at Thebes. And Antigone is like tragic through and through. There's nothing funny about Antigone. And um, every single performance that we did, there was this one line that King Creon said that was not funny. But every (laughs) single night it got a laugh because compared to everything else, like they just needed something to laugh at. Yeah, sometimes you just gotta find something if it's not there. (laughs) So, yeah. So, um... Okay, so when you emailed us, so a few days ago, um, just so everyone knows, you sent us a, not like a full rewrite, but, you know, a further workshopped version of this play that we're reading. And so in one of your videos, you also talk about making daily rewrites during a production of one of your plays, Songs of Suffering, a torture play. So do you ever consider a play to be finished or do you consider working on a play to be an alive and constantly evolving process? I would... All right, it's somewhere in between. I think like I think it's obvious alive. Obviously, it's alive, and you can keep changing it. But you do reach a point where it's like this is the version the public knows. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't do much good to change it from here on out. Sure. You gotta let it go. But I think, especially with a that rewrite was actually just an earlier uh, from an earlier uh, draft. It, that where the punchline was still in there, and I deleted the uh, the setup, so I had to fix that. <laughs> oh, no gotcha, sense. gotcha. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, that that is, that is cool because it's like, you know, I I remember I um when I was in in college a year and a half ago, learning about Angels in America and how Tony Kushner rewrote it so many times, even after it had originally gone into production. And you know, it's like. You know, obviously there are workshops and things that are built for that, but it's like, once again, like you said, at a certain point when people know a play in a certain way, and then it's it's constantly changing, it's like, you know, is it still effective at that point to keep changing it? Yeah. You know, is it still necessary? Sometimes you just have to let it go, let it fly, let, yeah. let the little birdie fly out the nest. Yeah, I love the stories about a Kushner writing Angels in America, and especially some of the notes he puts in the... Uh, the full version of both parts, because uh, especially the. Uh, uh, did you get the? Did you read the section in the uh, script where he includes the scene where Roy Cohn is in hell after he dies, and <laughs> I... he comment he editorializes beforehand about it how he has tried to put this in every version of the script so far to go to stage. Every director tells him to cut it, and he <laughs> figured he's finally got to let it go because. At this point, it'll be weird for the audience to see a new scene in the play. Yeah. <laughs> I've never actually read Angels in America. I've really? seen it, but okay. I haven't actually read it. Sure. You should read it. It's very good. I mean, yeah. obviously you've seen it, well, so you know Well, so that, Tony but. Kushner actually came and spoke at my school, and it was the semester really? I was studying abroad, so I, oh, I did not sad. see him. <laughs> yeah, sad. Oh, well. Um. So, episode two of Road to the Pulitzer comes live from your dad's pawn shop. What was it like growing up with a dad who owns a pawn shop, and why is that like the coolest thing ever? It sounds so cool to me. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it's 
pretty it was pretty cool i got a lot of secondhand cool electronics Nice. Just because they came through the store. Absolutely. I've never had to buy a laptop for myself, which has been nice because there's always one in there. And he just, anytime mine breaks, he just shrugs his shoulders and it's like, take this one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's great. I love that. That's cool. What What's like the coolest thing that you have, that you have uh, seen at your dad's pawn shop? Ooh. Huh. So that would probably be, for a while, he had a old vintage motorcycle that he just could not sell to anyone (laughs) because as cool as it was also a lot of money obviously yeah Yeah. so it was just in our shop for two years (laughs) and eventually we sold it but that was the cool thing i don't even ride a motorcycle but it you feel a bit like easy rider just standing next to the thing (laughs) yeah for sure no that's really cool i think that's a good question to segue into our next set of questions because we do this at like the end of every every interview we just sort of ask some like rapid fire get to know you kind of questions so lauren's gonna hit you with the first one all right milkshakes or frappuccinos milkshake good choice yeah i I just feel like you know like calorie content's about the same yeah i'm gonna get a milkshake just give me that milkshake (laughs) please 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 uh all right describe your favorite pair of shoes all right so worn down sneakers enough that i don't have to feel self-conscious about what i'm doing in them and getting them messy but not enough that they're uncomfortable right that's a good place good to be. Yeah. That's a really good place to be. They're just actually, totally broken in. Yeah. Molded to your foot. Exactly. Exactly. You just sweat. slip them on and go <laughs> with sweat. Yeah. I, I I love that. I love that. Yeah. So what is your favorite childhood snack? Brown sugar Pop-Tarts. Ooh. Ooh those that's are good. good. The brown sugar Pop-Tarts are slept on. Yeah. They're slept on so hard because those are so good. I think my favorite Pop-Tart flavor is the frosted strawberry one. Mm, that's a popular I one. Those. I like the cookies and cream yeah. Pop-Tarts ones. I would always like throw them in the microwave for like... I, the yeah. microwave we had at home, eight seconds was the perfect time nice. in the microwave. <laughs> yeah, for the, for the cookies and cream <laughs> Pop-Tarts. Have you, Nolan, have you tried those new Pop-Tart bites? I haven't. I've seen them in the store. But I have not actually tried them. Hmm, okay. Have you? Well, yeah. So um, my, my parents' anniversary was a couple weeks ago, and I made them like a little cross-stitch and sent it to them. And then my mom sent me the box back and put some stuff in it. And she put three little tiny pouches of um, frosted strawberry Pop-Tart bites. They Very were really nice. good. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. All righty. Which fantasy animal would you want as a pet? So pretty much From anything. any universe. Yeah. Any, any universe you can think of that could be described as potentially fantasy. Meowth. Oh, nice. Specifically nice. the Meowth that talks for the Team Rocket. Wow. That meowth. You had that on deck. Wow. It's like, it's like, it's like you it's knew like we were going to It's like we sent you questions that. or something. That's great. Um, so this question is not on our list. That was technically our last question. But since you didn't mention it, I want to mention it. Um, you are going to grad school in the fall, correct? Yes, I am. That's first off. Congratulations! That's yeah. such a that's such a huge accomplishment. Thank you. Um, are you excited? What, what What are you What are you thinking about about that coming up with all of that that's happening in the world? I mean, it's basically a, a mix of a lot of emotions. It's excitement over getting in and getting the opportunity to do that, and getting to put off the real world for uh, another three years. <laughs> yeah. But I, also, obviously, there's that, you know, the scary parts, like moving to a new city and right. getting an apartment and 
a pandemic going on during it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, props to you, man, again. Congratulations. Yeah. That's super exciting. And we wish you the best of luck in, in your endeavors. Yeah. Um, I think that is all thank we you. have. Um, thank you so much for, for coming on and interviewing, man. This was awesome. Yeah. Um, do you have anything that you would like to plug? Obviously, we've talked about Road to the Pulitzer, your uh, YouTube series. We'll link that in our description. Um, do you have anything else that you want to plug or talk about? Oh, yeah. Uh, so I'm on New Play Exchange. If uh, any listeners are on that, I'd awesome. appreciate the uh, reviews for A Stupid Broken Leg. Oh, cool. Yeah. Great. We'll, we'll try to link that as well yeah. um, in, in our description. Well, thank you again. If you want to get in contact with Nolan because you love listening to him speak, because you love his play, whatever, uh, his email would be in our description as well. Yeah, or you can find him on New Play Exchange. Exactly. You can also find him on New Play Exchange. Alrighty, Nolan. Thanks again for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, have a good one. Alright, bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Green Light. The Green Light. Thank you to our guest who came on. Thank you to our wonderful friends who came on and helped us record the wonderful script. Yeah. Now, if you have not done it yet, it would be really helpful if you would go on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. If you roast me, or if you roast Lauren, or if you leave a detour, we'll probably read it on air. That's right. Mm -hmm. Another way you can help us is by subscribing to our Patreon. We have lots of exclusive content on there, and you can give as little as a dollar a month, and you'll still get a lot of it. Yeah, a lot of our bonus detours, a lot of our ramble episodes, and $5 for the Greenland episodes, which are my favorite. So that link is in the description. Yes, also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Instagram, Twitter, TGL underscore pod. Facebook is... At GreenLightPod. Yes, and if you want to follow us personally, I'm at at J underscore Woodward underscore C on Instagram and Twitter. I am at Hunkleberry, H-U-N-K-E-L-E-B-E-R-R-Y on Instagram and Twitter. And I think that's it. That's it. Thank y'all so much for listening. We love you. Love you. Thank you.